Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. For those that don't know me, there's a few new faces that I don't know out there, which is great. My name's Andrew, and I'm part of the leadership team here at New Spring Church. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the book of John. So far, we've looked at five of the seven. And each each of these statements has given us a slightly different view of who Jesus is. It's revealed something different each time. And how great has it been to explore this? I really hope it has been a time for you, for those that have been here, to better understand who Jesus is and deepen your relationship with him. Today, we're going to be looking at the statement, I am the true vine, found in John 15. And I have to say, this is a great one. There's a lot in these few verses. Hopefully, you can all get as much out of it as I got out of it preparing. Now, before we get into it, did you know there's a grapevine in Hampton Court Place in London that is 250 years old. And it's still producing around 270 kilograms of grapes every year. It has one root system that feeds the whole vine. Its base is over four meters around. And the diameter from the base to the tip of the furthest branch is about 35 meters. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? To think that there's a grapevine that can continue to produce grapes each and every year for 250 years. It's pretty amazing. God's pretty good. Now, I want you to keep this image of one very large grapevine as we look at today's passage, which is in John 15, verses 1 to 8. Want to turn with me? Follow along. From verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. What a great passage. Now this morning we're going to slowly work through this passage, verse by verse. But before we do, I wanted to place this passage in context for you, of when it was said. This section of Jesus talking starts way back in chapter 13, where on the night before he was betrayed, 
Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then he predicts his betrayal. Judas then leaves to betray him. And after Jesus, after this, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. So this is the last night that the disciples will spend with Jesus before he is crucified. And he has been and is encouraging them. So let's get into it, starting from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In this verse, Jesus is saying he is the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel is sometimes spoken of as a vine and sometimes as a vineyard. And this is perhaps a part of the background of the imagery that is being used by Jesus in this verse. See, in the Old Testament, there seems to be two emphases that are made in regards to Israel and the vine. First, Israel's pure and favoured origin, and second, Israel's corrupt nature. We see this all through the Old Testament. For example, in Isaiah 5, verse 1, it says, I will sing for the one I love, a song of his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Or in Jeremiah 2.21, it says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Similar uses of the vine imagery are also found in Jewish rabbinical literature as well as in the New Testament. The portrayal, as Jesus, of, the portrayal of Jesus as the true vine is made in order to contrast him with the story of Israel, which God planted as a real vine, but which has become corrupt or worthless or produces bad fruit instead of good fruit, just like we read in the previous two passages. John is using this analogy to again focus our attention on Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Jesus is not teaching a new faith, but instead is fulfilling what the Jewish faith was supposed to be. Jesus calls himself the true vine. The Greek word used for true here is aletheinos. I think I got that right. Which means true, real, or genuine. Now, it's a curious fact that the symbol of the vine is never used in the Old Testament unless it's talking about a vine that has run wild or produces bad fruit. Jeremiah complains that the nation has turned into a corrupt wild vine and Isaiah says that the vineyard only produced bad fruit. With this contrast of the image of Israel being a vine planted by God that has gone wild, and Jesus saying that he is the true vine, the real vine, the genuine vine. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to those around him, you think that because you are a, belong to the nation of Israel, you are a branch of the true vine of God, but the nation that you belong to is a corrupt vine. All your prophets saw this and told you, I am the true vine. I am what Israel was supposed to be. 
the fact that you are a Jew will not save you. The only thing that can save you is to have an intimate living relationship with me because I am the vine of God and you must be grafted into me. Jesus was saying that it's not Jewish blood but faith in him that was the way to God's salvation. No external qualification can set a man right with God. Only friendship with Jesus Christ can do that. See, the Jews believed that because they were Jews, they were in, so to speak. After all, they were the chosen people. But what Jesus is saying is that it's not about what group you're born into. It's not about what group you belong to. It's all about relationship with him. I know I've said it before many times, but it really is all about relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is the vine, but the Father is the gardener. When Jesus drew this picture of a vine, he knew what he was talking about, and so did the people he spoke to. See, vines were grown all over Palestine and still are today. The vine is a plant which needs a great deal of attention if you want to get the best fruit out of it. For a vine to grow well and produce a lot of fruit, first the ground has to be perfectly clear, clean of weeds. The vine is sometimes trained along trellises. It's sometimes allowed to creep across the ground, upheld by low forked sticks. It sometimes even grows around the doors of cottages. But wherever it grows, careful preparation of the soil is essential. A vine grows quickly and drastic pruning is necessary. A young vine won't be allowed to fruit for the first three years and each year the vine is drastically cut back to develop and conserve its life and energy. When mature, it is pruned twice in winter. It then bears two kinds of branches, one that bears fruit and one that does not. The branches that do not bear fruit are drastically pruned back so they will not drain away the plant's strength. The vine cannot produce the crop of which it is capable of without drastic pruning. And Jesus and his audiences knew all this. As I've been thinking about this today, this week, it dawned on me that plants don't actually work hard to grow fruit. You see, all plants need to grow a crop of fruit is the correct environment, and growth happens effortlessly. The fruit on the vine or the tree is just a consequence of a few things. First, of the plant being healthy and pruned correctly. Second, of the plant being in an environment that provides all it needs to grow. And thirdly, of the plant being mature enough to actually bear the fruit. Now, just as the vine needs these three aspects, our own personal spiritual growth needs them in order to grow. First, we need to be in a healthy place and be willing to have unhealthy aspects of our life pruned or cut out. This can be a really painful process. But we need to allow God to cut out the aspects that don't and will never produce fruit. In this passage, Jesus is saying, this is where the Father comes in. He is the gardener. 
And he is the one that knows which aspects of our life will produce fruit and which won't and need to be pruned out. See, gardeners need to be careful not to prune too much at a time. Otherwise, they'll damage the vine, damage the plant. They need to know how strong the plant is and how much it can take. Luckily, we have God as our gardener, as he is the only one that knows how healthy we actually are and how much pruning we can take. And just on a side note, notice it's not the other branches <laughs> that, are, that prune the branch, as they don't actually know how much pruning another branch can take or how healthy it is. In the same way, as followers of Jesus, we need to allow God to be the one that shapes the vine and not try to prune others in the way we believe they should be. Next, we also need to be in an environment where we have all we need without the things that can stunt our growth. So often when we decide we want to grow in our faith or understanding of Scripture, it can seem like a really hard slog. For example, I remember back when I was doing my Master's, there were times when it really felt like just a lot of hard work to understand what the lecturers were trying to get across. Have you ever felt like that? When trying to develop your faith or understanding of the Bible? I know I have. And it can be really discouraging. But it kind of seems contrary to the idea that we're supposed to produce fruit like a grapevine. Grapevine just focuses on growing and doesn't worry too much about the fruit. They just grow everything and let the gardener prune the aspects so that your energy goes in the right place. Finally, we need to be spiritually mature in order to produce fruit. Now, this only comes with time. There's an interesting correlation here that the vine is not allowed to produce fruit for three years. Just as the disciples were with Jesus for three years before they went out and produced a huge crop. So often today, when someone becomes a Christian, they're so eager to go out and do God's work. But sometimes, they need to realize that they first, there first needs to be a time where they can grow and develop maturity. Without this maturity, they'll never be able to produce the fruit that they are capable of. So all the vine needs to continue to grow and develop into a vine that can produce lots of fruit are these three aspects. So if you're trying to develop a deeper relationship with Christ, have you looked at these three aspects in your life? First, are you in a healthy place where you have allowed God to prune the unhealthy aspects of your life? Or are you holding on to those unhealthy habits? Do we have any gardeners in here? A few people? Well, I'm a bit of a novice gardener. See, I love to get in the garden, but the reality is I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> For example, when we moved into our house, we had heaps of beautifully pruned rose bushes. And as a novice gardener, I know you need to really prune back a rose bush. So I did. <laughs> few of them haven't survived. <laughs> Some are still going strong. But if I was honest, it's primarily luck whether or not my roses will survive me being their gardener. 
But when it comes to our faith journey, we are so lucky that it is God that is the gardener. But we actually need to allow him to be the gardener. We need to trust his knowledge to know when and what needs to be pruned out or cut out of our life and when and what needs to be propped up. Secondly, have you looked at your environment? Are you feeding yourself what you need to grow or are you filling your mind with rubbish? I have a really simple test for this. Have a think about how, we, how you would feel if I put your internet search history on the big screen for all to see. Or what about your Netflix watch shows? Would this bother you? If so, then you might need to rethink what you're consuming. Just as our physical health is dependent on what we eat, so our spiritual health is affected by what we surround ourselves with. What we fertilize our minds with really does affect how we grow in our faith journey. What we put into ourselves makes a difference to what we can produce. And finally, are you mature in your faith? Now, it's not a bad thing to be new in your faith. But at some point, you do need to start to mature. I know it can be really comfortable to stay in the same place all the time and never go out and stretch yourself. But at some point, you do need to push yourself and grow. Otherwise, in reality, you will never mature and you'll never produce fruit that you can. So back to our verse. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bear, does bear fruit, he prunes so that it is even more fruitful. We must submit to pruning by the Father. Now, according to this verse, exactly what the Lord does to the unfaithful branch depends on the Greek verb, areo, and how it's translated. See, areo can mean takes away or cuts off, as in the King James and the NIV tradition. Or the same word may also mean lifts up. So it can either mean being removed or cut out, or it can be mean being propped up to make it easy to get light and air and therefore produce fruit. But either way, it means that if you are not producing fruit, something needs to change. And God, as the gardener, is the one that either lifts up or removes the branches that are not producing fruit. So in your walk with Jesus, if you feel you are not producing fruit, so to speak, then God might be saying to you that something needs to change. And I would suggest you listen to it. The branch that bears fruit is a Christian who is growing more like the Lord Jesus. But even such vines need to be pruned and cleansed. The Greek word katharao, which is used for he prunes, also can mean he cleanses or cleanses. Just as a real vine must be cleansed from insects, mildew and fungus, so Christians must be cleansed from worldly things that cling to them. This cleansing happens as we draw closer to Jesus and become more like him. This leads us to our next few verses. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. We must remain in the sun. In this passage, there is a lot about remaining in Christ. So what is meant by remaining in Christ? It is true that there is a mystical sense in which a Christian is in Christ and Christ is in a Christian. But there's many who never have that mystical experience. See, when a Christian is born again, their spirit is instantaneously changed and made new. It is completely pure. But our mind is still programmed to react in the old ways. We have to, as Paul says in Romans 12, renew our minds. And this is an ongoing process, not a one-time thing. These ideas are what is referred to in theological terms as justification and sanctification. Most of you have probably heard these words before. They're big, complex words. But I'll try to give you a bit of a simpler explanation. Justification refers to God's declaration that someone is determined to be righteous in his sight. This justification is a one-time act whereby God declares a sinner like you and me to, not, to be not only not guilty, but perfectly righteous before his high bar of justice. When you ask Jesus into your life, you are fully justified before God. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the continual process of being made more holy. It is the progressive conformity of one who has been justified into the image of their Saviour through the work of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ, you are justified before God. But that doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't mean there's not more work to do. There's still a process of sanctification that needs to happen. This is the process where you are slowly transformed from what you were before you gave your life to Jesus to be more and more like Jesus day by day. Now remember, God is the one that is the gardener. So he is the one that is pruning you. He is the one that is cutting out the parts of you that need to be cut out so that you are more like Jesus and can produce more fruit. The secret to the life of Jesus is his constant contact with God. Again and again, he withdrew into a solitary place to meet him. Just as Jesus was in constant contact with God, we must keep in constant contact with Jesus. We cannot do this unless we deliberately take steps to do it. Now remember, Jesus is saying this to his disciples on the night before he is taken to be crucified. Jesus is saying, you need to remain in me just before he is about to leave them. How do you think they would have felt? I know for myself, I would be asking, now that Jesus is gone, how do we 
keep in constant contact with him. Well, Jesus just told his disciples how this will happen. We read back in chapter 14 of John, from verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit will come and will be that constant connection we need to him, the true vine. The Holy Spirit is the one that allows us to remain in Jesus, the true vine. He allows us to understand the scripture and he is the one that the Father often uses to guide us as to what needs to be pruned out of our lives. Now, to understand this idea properly, you really need to have some, a bit of an understanding of the Trinitarian relationship between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brett touched on it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you remember it, but the short of it is that we're never going to fully understand this. It's something the theologians have been grappling with for 2,000 years. I'm not going to try to explain it in detail this morning. But what I will say is that there seems to be a correlation between the relationship Jesus, the relationship of Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, and how we're supposed to relate to them. See, we read in John 17, verse 20, when Jesus is praying for those coming after him. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, if you'd like to discuss this more, I'm more than happy to grab a coffee and discuss this concept, the concept of the Trinity. But for now, all you need to know is that you need to remain in Jesus just as he remains in God. Now, for some of us, some of the time, remaining in Christ will be a mystical experience which is beyond words to express. But for most of us, most of the time, it will mean a constant contact with him. It will mean arranging our life, arranging prayer, arranging silence in such a way that there is a, never a day when we give ourselves a chance to forget him when we never allow ourselves to not make him a priority in our lives. We need to arrange our daily lives in a way that we are always thinking of him and always trying to grow closer to him. And the Holy Spirit is the one that allows us to do this. The Spirit becomes that still small voice in our head that guides us and develops us to be closer to Jesus each and every day and to never forget him. Now, I think in reality, this is actually a really hard thing to do. Especially in today's society. Because we seem to always be so distracted. And in reality, to slow down and allow Jesus to develop and shape us into the person he wants us to be might actually mean he'll prune out parts of our lives that, if we're honest with ourselves, we love. 
or parts of our lives that bring us pleasure. He might ask us to change what we are putting into our minds. We might have to give up that hidden grudge or that hidden sin or that hidden Netflix show. (laughs) The process of sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus can be really hard work and can be a real struggle. But as I said last month, when we looked at the statement, I am the light of the world, if you remain in Christ, he will shine his light on your path and his light will change your perspective. So much so that you'll realize that you actually want to change because the reality is what Jesus asks us to change is always what is best for us and will allow us to mature and grow closer to him. Practically speaking, there's so many different ways, so many different things you can do to help remain in Christ each day. Some of the ideas that I found helpful, you could have a regular prayer time each day. This could be at 5 o'clock in the morning, it could be late at night, depending on your personality. It could even be getting up early on a Wednesday morning and coming to the men's prayer. Here, sorry about the shameless plug. (laughs) Or what about when you're driving to work? What about worshipping on the way to and from work? Why not spend that wasted time in the car worshipping God? Or what about joining a life group and doing this thing called life together with other people that are on the same path? Now, the one thing that all these ideas have in common is they get us to focus on Jesus for part of our day. They're all structured in a way as to help us remember to do this each day. Each of them can work really well. But don't beat yourself up if you're in a place where this doesn't work for you. Instead, remember the reason behind the ideas and find a different way to focus on Jesus during the day. The last thing I want you to take from this message is that in order to grow spiritually, you have to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and pray. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. If you did that, it would work really well for some people. But for others, it wouldn't. (laughs) Some people just can't get up in the morning. But what, what I want you to take from the message is you have to be intentional. Whatever it is, remember the reason behind it. And arrange your life in a way where you're proactive and you actually do something. And you spend time each week growing closer to God. Where you make it a priority in your life. And in reality, what's the alternative? Well, we know from last week when Matt took us through the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the only way to the Father. So therefore, the alternative is best described when Jesus says, if we don't remain in him, we are like the branch that is not connected to the vine, that slowly withers and dies and eventually is picked up and thrown into the fire. So we have a choice. We either remain in Jesus or we don't. So why why go to all the effort? Well, let's keep reading. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, verse 7 is often taken out of context. This verse is often used as justification to ask God for worldly riches, or justification to walk away from your faith when God doesn't do what you ask him to do. But God isn't like Santa. He isn't someone you go to and ask what you want and get it. He's our father. He's our creator. He's our lover. And whenever we read this verse, we need to read it in the context of the first part of the verse. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. See, if you are really remaining in Christ, then you will want what Christ wants. If Christ's words are in us, then when you ask for something, it'll be his words that are pouring out of you. And if that's the case, this verse is 100% correct. Whatever you ask for, you will receive. So if you do remain in Christ, then this is a promise. All we have to do is ask and he will come through. This would lead to us being very fruitful and to glorifying God. So where do we go from here? What does it actually look like to remain in Christ for us to produce much fruit? Well, Jesus goes on to say from verse 9 in chapter 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So how did Jesus remain in the Father's love? He kept his commands. How do we remain in Christ's loves? We keep his commands. How do we produce much fruit? Love. How do we treat others? With love. It all comes back to love. Love the Father. Love the Son. Love the Holy Spirit. And with that, you'll be able to truly love others. Now we're going to finish off with a final song. But if you would like prayer after this song, the prayer team will be up the front. But let's go out into this week and remain in Christ, just as the branch needs to remain in the vine and love each other.